welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, have you ever moved a bathtub? I have. I have moved a bathtub. Have you ever moved a bathtub? If you have ever moved a bathtub, you know how heavy they can be. You see, Phil and I lived in a house in Edmond for about six or seven years, and we loved this house. It was a beautiful house, and the moment we walked into it, we knew that it was for us. But over the period of years that we lived there, Phil and I always have a knack for thinking how we could improve things. And we had a third bathroom in this house, and it was small, but it was mighty and wonderful and used for its good purposes, but it had a big bathtub in it, and we thought, wouldn't it be nice to put a big walk-in shower for our guests? And if you have ever known Phil, you know that he is up to every task. So when he suggested that, I thought, sure, let's do it. But then I said, how are we gonna get the bathtub out? And it was a bathtub that was, surrounded on all three sides. So the two sides of the shorter part of the bathtub were a wall, and then the longer side was a wall, and you only had this one side of the front of the bathtub. So it really was gonna take some effort to get that out. And I remember watching Phil with the crowbar and the hammer and taking out the walls around it, and then he loosened the bathtub. And I knew it wasn't good when he said, oh, and I said, what? And he said, that's gonna be heavy. That might be more than the two of us can do together, but let's try it. And I said, okay, I'm ready to try it because, I mean, have you seen these? (laughs) I know, he was impressed too. So we decided we're gonna take out the bathtub and the bathtub happened to be next to our laundry room, which was next to the garage, which was next to the front yard. So we were trying to get the bathtub from the bathroom out to the front lawn for big trash day. So we wiggled it out from the wall, we, I still don't know how we got it out of the door. I, I think I removed that from my brain. I repressed that memory, but we got it out of the door. And then we, we realized how long the pathway was through the laundry room, out the garage, and to the front yard. And Phil came up with this brilliant idea that we would take slabs of wood, two by fours, put them on the ground, and we would slide the bathtub from one two by four to the next. And then when we slid the the next part of the bathtub off of the first two by four, then I would run the two by four around to the other end and we would slide it again. And we repeated this process until we got it all the way out to the front yard. And I remember while we were doing it, Phil is back here, I keep pointing at him, there he is. Uh, when, When we were doing this together, I remember being so impressed with ourselves. Do you remember how we would stop in the middle of the, of the project of moving the tub and we would say, we just like pat ourselves on the back, like we're so great at this, this is amazing. And then we finally got it out there and we took a picture because we never wanted to forget that we had in fact moved a thing that was impossible to move. You know, it's interesting when we look at a picture and we think to ourselves, that could be better that could be better than what it is. But in order for it to be better, in order for the new thing to come, the old has to get out. And that is always what seems daunting, isn't it? We want the new to come, but removing the old 
seems also almost impossible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Would you pray with me? God, we love the sound of your voice. Thank you for being here today. Let us hear you and let us be changed because of the presence of your Holy Spirit. It's in the mighty name that we pray and everyone said, amen. So we have been in this series called New Creation. And in case you haven't caught the theme of our entire year, it is create. We've talked about the creation story and we dissected the creation story of Genesis at the beginning of the year. And then over Lent, we looked at what David said about creating in him a clean heart, that he wanted God to remove the stain, to purify him, and to create in him a clean heart. And then now, as we approach Pentecost, we are looking at what it means to be a new creation. That Paul said to the Corinthians, the old has gone and the new has come. If anyone be in Christ, that person is a new creation. And we've looked at the verses leading up to that over the last several weeks. So I want us to read that together. And I've, I've put it in a different version than what we've been reading it in for the last several weeks. I find that it's really helpful when I'm reading the scripture over and over again to read it in slightly different versions because I always pick up something new each time. So if you will read along silently with me as I read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. But if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now I'm going to read that last one again, that verse 15, because that's the one we're going to focus on today. And he who died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we look at this scripture passage, one of the things that stuck out to me in this particular version is when Paul says, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. The first week, Pastor D.A. talked about spectacular ministry versus sincere hearts. That's that verse. It's just in a different version. And we talked about the fact that what was unseen was more important than what is seen. And today we're going to talk about that as well. Because we need to dissect what is unseen in order to get the old out, to make space for the new to come. And that's the thing I want us to look at today. If we are to live for Christ, and that's what verse 15 talks about, that if Christ died for all of us and we all died, then now we are supposed to live for him instead of living for ourselves. We are to live for the one who died for all and was raised to life again. Now, if we're not careful, a lot of times we get caught up in these Christian-type passages, these Christianese phrases where we say, well, we're going to live for Christ. 
I'm no longer living for myself. I'm going to live for Christ. But we don't really know what that means. We have our own definitions, our own versions of what that means. For some people, living for Christ means you sell everything that you have and you give everything away to the poor. That's scriptural. But for another person, living for Christ means that they are going to earn as much money as they can and they're going to be as successful as they can to bring glory to God. For the other person, it means that they are going to be the best mom that they can possibly be, which means they may never get any recognition for anything. They may never do anything out in front of anyone. But they are living for Christ because they are helping their kids become the people that Christ created them to be. But today, I want us to look at what it truly means for each and every one of us to live for Christ. Because what it means for you is not different than what it means for me. What it means for the person next to you is not different than what it means for you. But we have to look first at what is unseen. And that's going to be confusing today. So if you're feeling sleepy, you might want to go get some coffee because we are going to dive pretty deep into what is unseen today. Because each person is made up of several things. We all are made up of a body, correct? I don't think you've ever met somebody that didn't have a body. If you did, there's probably something wrong. <laughs> we all have a body. We also all have the ability to think in our mind and feel with our emotions. We also all have the ability to make choices, and that is called will. So each person has a body. Each person has a soul. The Christian idea of soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will all put together. So you've got a body, you've got a soul. We also all have an ego. Now that was just something that was named by a psychologist a long time ago. So you may think it's called an ego, you may think it's not called an ego, but the idea of ego is that we identify ourselves as separate from other people, because we are. I am separate from you, you are separate from me. Our ego is the idea that we are a separate entity. So we all have an ego. But you see, originally people were created with all of those things. In the Garden of Eden, we all had a body. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had a soul. They had a mind, emotions, and will put together in order to act, to be able to feel, to be able to think, to be able to take in stimuli from the outside. And they also had an ego, the idea that they are separate from each other and their own separate entity. But in the Garden of Eden, none of that was broken. It was perfect, it was whole, it was right, it was good. God called it good. And every person who has those things, we are all created that way, have the choice about how to live and what we live for. And in that perfect setting, where it was complete because we walked hand in hand with God, where he walked beside us in the garden and we didn't have any separation from him. We knew in the garden what our value was. But when humankind fell from that place through sin, the body 
the mind, the emotions, the will, all became broken because we were separated from the one that completed us. And that's the state we live in today. It's the state we live in today. So when Paul says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again, it's time for us to evaluate how we live. Because our body and our soul live in a broken state. And when we accept Christ as our Savior, God begins that process of completing us again in a broken world. But many Christians still live for themselves. Now let me tell you what living for yourself looks like. Because if you're going to move the old bathtub out, you need to figure out how to get it out, which means you've got to take its measurements and remove it. So if we live for ourselves in our broken state, then we're going to have to take the measurements of that. So I'm going to help you understand what that looks like today. You see, the ego, that part of us that says we are separate, we are a separate entity, is now broken because it's been separated from God through sin. And where in the garden, in that perfect state, we would have known that we were whole. We would have known that we were valuable, not because of anything that we do, but because of who we are. Because God made us, and he put the value there. It's set. It cannot be taken away. But in that state, we knew our value. In the broken state that we live in now, the ego tries to answer the question, what am I worth? What am I worth? I am separate from you. Where is my value? And if you dig down deep enough in your own soul, your mind, your emotions, your will, all put together, if you dig down deep enough into your soul, that question will rise to the surface. What is my value? So as you sit with that question for just a moment, it is our ego that attempts to answer the question. And our ego in its broken state only knows how to answer that question outside of itself. Let me say that again. Our ego in our broken state only knows how to answer the question of, am I valuable? It only knows how to answer that outside of itself. So what our ego does, what our mind and our will and our emotions also do as our soul is yearning to answer that question, is we look outside of ourselves and we say three things. What I like to call the three A's. We're going to put them up here. It likes to ask the question, am I accepted enough? So it's, it's trying to answer the question, am I valuable, by am I accepted? And so many times we as humans will look to others to define our value. Do you accept me? If you accept me, then I must be worth something. 
Do you see how it looks outside of itself to try to answer the question, am I valuable? Do you see how dangerous that is? Why would we look to another broken human to determine whether or not we are valuable? And yet we do. If you don't accept me, if you don't accept my lifestyle, if you don't accept my viewpoints, if you don't accept my beliefs, if you don't accept the way I look, whatever it might be, then I feel like I am less than. Because in our broken state, we look outside of ourselves to answer the question of value. The next A, the way that we do this, is through achievement. Have I accomplished enough? Am I successful enough? I look outside of myself to see, have I achieved enough? Now let me tell you how the Christian does this. Because it might make sense that the non-Christian would do this. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm a Christian. I don't do, I don't do any of that. But let me tell you how the Christian does this. The Christian will say, I am to live my life for God. Have I achieved enough? Have I told enough people about him? Have I stood on the corner and have I preached the good news? Have I stood up in my office and have I told people? Have I stood up for what was right? Have I accomplished enough for God? Continuing to look outside of ourselves to see if we're of any value to God. Have I accomplished enough? And I think the last way that we try to do this is through another A, through acquisition. Do I have enough? Am I valuable because of what I have? Am I valuable because of what I do? Am I valuable because of who likes me? In our broken state, our will, our emotions, our mind, our soul, all look for these ways to answer the question, am I valuable? That is the old way of living. That is the way that we tend to all live in a broken world. Even as Christians, even when we know that those things are not supposed to be what we look towards. How many Christians do we know that still look towards those things to try to determine their worth? Do we see how dangerous that is? So, if we all have a body that is broken, if we all live in a state where our soul is also broken, our mind, our emotions, our will, all put together, broken, then let's look at what happens when we start to say, how do I live for Christ? How do I take that brokenness where I look outside of myself to determine my value and my worth? How do I take all of that? And how am I supposed to live in such a way that Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant? Because I tell you, no one will ever accept you enough to answer that question. You will never accomplish enough to answer the question. And you will never have enough to answer the question because all of those things that are outside of us are limited and terminal. So they will never answer the question of am I valuable because the question of am I valuable is eternal. And you cannot have something terminal answer an eternal question. 
So what does that mean? Well, let me take a step back. In the culture in which this was written, this passage of scripture, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians and we were looking at kind of a Greco-Roman culture, this was a culture that said, live it up today because tomorrow you're going to die. Get all the pleasure you can for your body because tomorrow your body's going to be gone. So it looked at only the body to fulfill what it wanted to have fulfilled. We see how wrong that is now. Some of us still do it, but we see how wrong it is now. But the interesting thing about our culture today is that we don't tend to say, live it up for tomorrow you die, especially if we're Christian because we know that, our, that we have an eternal being within us that will last throughout eternity. And we know what the scriptures say about physical pleasure. So we set that part aside. But the sad part about what we live in today is that culture would tell us that it's your soul, your mind, your emotions, and your will that are the be-all and end-all of who you are. It would say that the more you know, the more knowledge you gain, the more whole you will be. It would say that when you can allow your emotions not really to control you, but that you have control over your emotions, then you will be complete. Or it would also say that your will is what is most important. You determine the life you live. You determine what you will do. You determine how successful you will be, how much people will accept you, and how much you will gain. We have this very faulty idea of what our soul is and should be. Because you see, our mind and our emotions and our will were never designed to lead us. Just like the desires of our body was never designed to lead us. So that leaves us with the question, well, then what is Because if we truly are all created with a body and a soul, then what more is there? Oh, there is something so much more. Because not only did God design you with a body that's temporal, you'll get a new one when you get to heaven, and not only did he design us with a soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will all smushed together, but he gave us something even greater the one thing that was designed to be an authority over our soul and over our body that each one of us has. No one is exempt from having this one thing. And that is your spirit. Now this is where it gets tricky. The line between soul and spirit is tricky, and Christ even talked about the sword that can divide the line between your soul and your spirit. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. They are two different things. And I could give you scripture after scripture to help you understand that. In the Hebrew language, your soul, the word for soul, is nefash. And it was usually translated to life. 
because your soul encompassed your mind, your emotions, your will, your ability to decide and use those things and think and process and emote. But the word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach. And that word meant breath, wind, God's breath, our breath. It also meant an invisible unseen force. In Greek, in the New Testament, the word for that is pneuma, which means air, breath. And Jesus said, God is spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are created in God's image, and God has given each of us a spirit. Not the kind of word that we use in today's culture that says they have a great spirit about them. No, it is so much bigger than that. Because our spirit is the part of us, the part of the human that encompasses all the other parts. Our spirit encompasses our body. Our spirit encompasses our soul, our mind, our emotions, and our will all put together. Our spirit is the one that is to be in authority over all those things. And do you see how wrong it is when cultures have said the body should be in charge or culture has said the soul should be in charge because neither one of those things has the capability to be in charge because they were designed to be subservient to the spirit. And your spirit is what will last forever. Your body will change. Your soul will change. Because our broken soul is designed to be molded into the image of God through our spirit. Let me tell you one more thing about the spirit. The spirit is the place that connects with God's spirit. It is the dimension of the human that is least broken. And aren't you glad that in this terribly broken world, God has given you something whole? That's why God says, and Jesus said, God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's where our spirit connects with his. It's why we are told that our spirit bears witness with God's spirit that we are children of God. It is where our spirit, our humanness, connects with God's spirit. And if we will live from the spirit... And this is what's tricky. This is what gets confusing. This is what gets hard. But if we will live from the spirit and allow our spirit to be the one that rules over our soul and that rules over our body, that is how you live for Christ. Because your spirit is designed to connect with God. There's not a barrier there. Number one, because of what Christ has done on the cross, there's no barrier there. Number two, God gave you a spirit as the part of you that can be made whole, that filters down into every other part of who you are. And when you allow your body to come and be subservient to your spirit, then the flesh and the spirit don't war anymore because you have said the spirit is in charge, not the body. 
And when you allow your soul, which society has said is the be-all and end-all, but it's not. If you allow your soul to come into alignment with your spirit and be subservient to your spirit, then as a surrendered spirit to God, God's spirit speaks to your spirit. And then you are able to ordain what happens with the rest of who you are. So as you take the measurements of your life and you say, I am not supposed to live for myself anymore. What does that look like? Well, it looks like being, allowing your body to rule, allowing your soul to rule. That's what living for yourself is. Allowing your will to make decisions that, that are only you being in charge. Allowing your mind to go places where it shouldn't. Allowing your emotions to run rampant in your life. Because your soul was never designed to lead. It can't. It doesn't have the ability to do that well. But that's what living for ourselves looks like. Living for Christ means that we wake up, that we allow our spirit, the biggest part of who we are, the part that connects with God's spirit, to wake up. So many Christians have allowed their spirit to go to sleep, which is exactly what the devil wants. He wants nothing more than for you to let your soul rule you. But living for Christ means we wake up. We tap into the Spirit. We allow our spirit to connect with God's Spirit. And then we take under the authority of our spirit, our soul and our body, where it was always designed to be. And as God lives through us, because there is no barrier in the Spirit when we have surrendered ourselves to God, his spirit flows into us. That's why we can be filled with his Holy Spirit. We are filled with his Holy Spirit in our spirit. And the capacity for that is remarkable. And then let me tell you what happens. The question that we ask, am I valuable? Am I worth anything? that our soul kept trying to answer by using things outside of us, now finds that because of God's spirit dwelling in our spirit, because of God, the one who created us and put value there that we had nothing to do with, now we find that the three A's are fulfilled. When I ask myself, Am I accepted? Well, yeah. <laughs> when you live from your spirit, there's more acceptance there from God than you could ever define. He has said you're accepted. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. When I ask the question, have I accomplished enough? God says, Accomplishment becomes a totally different definition. It's no longer about gaining something for you. 
what I want you to accomplish may look totally different than what you ever thought you wanted to accomplish. But it's not about accomplishing things so that you can add tokens to your bag. God says, I have accomplished. And then when I ask, do I have enough? I stop looking out here. And I look to the spirit. Do I have enough? I have more than enough. God's spirit lives in my spirit. I live in God's spirit. What more could I ever desire to possess? And it can't ever be taken away. So today, as you ask yourself, what am I worth? What is my value? Know that that's not how God designed you to live. Your value is set. And as we wake up, and as we live in the Spirit, we will find that as God created us to live, our body and our soul, subservient to our spirit, which is the one dimension that can handle all the others. And as we surrender in our spirit to God and allow his spirit to fill us, that's what it means to live for Christ. Would you pray with me?